Hello and welcome to the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. I'm BHE Digital Managing Editor Tom Valentino, and today I am joined by Tanny Weiner, the co-chair of the Polsonelli Law Firm's Behavioral Health Law Group. Tanny, our paths crossed previously at the Treatment Center Investment and Valuation Retreat a few years ago. It's good to catch up with you now. Uh, welcome to the BHE Podcast. Well, hey, thank you, Tom. Great to be here. So there are a lot of different topics for us to cover. Let's start here. It's been an interesting year for deal-making in the behavioral healthcare space. What would you say have been some of the big trends that you've seen through the first half of this year? And what are the factors that are leading to those developments? Uh, great question, Tom. The uh, theme we are seeing has been uh, compared to the last couple of years, which were extremely active with tons of deals uh, uh, happening simultaneously and uh, getting uh, closed with, uh, I guess, uh, relative to where we are now, uh, a more easy path. Uh, this year has been characterized by a tougher slog. The tougher slog has been uh, a product I think largely of the macroeconomic uh, environment that we're in. The macroeconomic environment is characterized by concern of uh, recession, which may or may not happen and may or may not uh, be an actual factor for you know behavioral health or deals. You could almost see, uh, as we saw through you know COVID, uh, more challenging times socially led to greater issues. Uh, resulting in more people needing treatment, which is sort of the been accelerants. Um, so uh, the concern of recession uh, also is uh, matched, and I think exceeded by uh, higher interest rates. Uh, higher interest rates have uh, really damped down uh, some of the dry powder that is, you know, deal term for available funding to invest uh, PE firms uh, have that uh, funding available and are on the hunt for deals. And there are deals that are are, are going uh, through the process that are being vetted. So for sure, there is activity. Um, and that part of the financial equation is present. But I think the part that's been a little more uh, scarce is, is uh, bank financing. Uh, bank financing, um, interest rates are high, borrowing costs are increased. It makes uh, the cost of doing an acquisition higher than it was in low interest rate environments. Uh, as a result, the multiples that buyers are uh, able to afford or willing to pay for for deals uh, is is lower. I think there are sellers who've uh, been uh, uh, a little harder to internalize that message for them, and you know maybe some sellers are feeling like uh, they're not willing to. Uh, decrease their expectations on value on exit. And I think there's been a little bit of a value dance between what buyers can pay and what sellers are willing to accept. That's one of the things that's, uh, I think, been a decelerant, at least so far, um, on top of just uh, some, uh, you know, some folks have uh, less access to borrowed uh, funds to fuel their expansion uh, plans. And, um, you know, there's probably you know, more in there. And I don't want to be uh, only on the it's it's harder. Deals are getting done. We've gotten a number of deals done this year in this tougher 
uh, financial environment, um, it's just taken uh, sometimes longer for uh, our clients, the buyers, to find the right uh, financing partner um, and, uh, you know, uh, a longer uh, haul makes for, uh, you know, maybe at the end feeling more like, uh, you know, you, you kind of accomplished it. And uh, I think where we are right now, we're at uh, uh, the end of July, um, we're seeing sort of heightened interest in, uh, you know, pursuing opportunities. And I would say that for the lived experience so far this year of, you know, harder to deal and slower to uh, execute um, the interest in behavioral, the interest in investing by existing participants looking for add-on deals, um, the interest in uh, financial or strategic acquirers of expanding their, their involvement investment, uh, providing services, innovating in those services, that has not abated. We've uh, continued to see um, a lot of activity. It's just uh, been a little bit uh, different than uh, what we've seen in a couple of previous years. Okay. One of the other big trends that we've been seeing uh, in the behavioral healthcare space um, is kind of an industry-wide shift um, you know, affecting many uh, providers, um, looking at going from the, uh, the fee-for-service model uh, to more value-based care. Um, what do you see driving this? And what would you uh, recommend that providers should be doing uh, to better align their efforts and, and what they're doing um, to, to, you know, line up with what payers are seeking? Another very timely question, Tom. We have been hearing about value-based care and continue to. Um, what we have not seen as much of is actual uh, implementation of that. To unpack that a little bit, uh, the driver for value-based and um, I think one thing in behavioral that I've seen over the years is uh, the larger healthcare uh, economy, you know, like a wave will will go uh, through and then behavioral uh, will, the ripple will come in behavioral. Um, and I think value-based has been a more prominent feature of the general healthcare market. CMS, the government and commercial payers are seeking uh, more care uh, more efficiently and uh, sharing risk with providers is one of the ways to, instead of doing a fee-for-service uh, uh, pricing uh, to cover you know, population health or to take responsibility by the provider to figure out exactly what the most uh, cost-effective means of that would be instead of uh, what is still largely the case, particularly behavioral, is having to uh, get the payer to agree uh, and authorize specific levels of care. It sort of puts the uh, uh, burden, uh, responsibility, uh, and opportunity with with the provider. But what has um, uh, and behavioral is ripe for this. Uh, payers have the legal obligation of parity law um, under the Affordable Care Act insurance mandates to cover uh, behavioral health, which has been an area for them of you know, heightened expense because more people need the services and they have to pay for them. And they haven't necessarily been, you know, pleased by uh, the uh, efficiency and the value proposition and the measurement uh, for what we're paying. Are we getting uh, 
quality care uh, are we reducing overall healthcare costs? And so value-based as pertains to behavioral is a way to try to realign this and have the, you know, health behavioral health provider uh, agree to provide for certain populations of people certain amounts of care over certain lengths of time. And then whatever the particular patient needs, uh, the provider's only being paid one price for it. The uh, problem or the uh, hindrance is exactly that behavioral it's uh there's a lot of different kinds of behavioral we're not just talking about a particular kind of medical procedure and a particular kind of lab result you have outpatient residential uh different uh, levels of care for different kinds of conditions substance abuse mental health co-occurring eating disorders uh figuring out what the uh, uh standard care methodology and a common uh measurement outcome uh, both of those things would be uh, necessary conditions, and there's still a lot of diversity and innovation in behavioral telehealth, digital health, um, different medications used uh, for di treating different conditions. Until there's more consistency, um, it is hard to uh, benchmark what care is being offered and uh, how to prove to a payer whether or not you're actually delivering care and how to price it. So uh, one thing that should help, uh, the ASAM, new ASAM standards um, are a way of sort of measuring different uh, care levels. Uh, outcomes measurement is increasingly a focus, uh, although there isn't yet uh, unanimity or even consistency over what and how you do it and how do you get reliable uh, measurements. But you know, when you have those fundamentals, then you can price it and negotiate with payers. Um, and when you get to that point, uh, you have hesitancy by the providers for what risk they're going to take and payers for how they're going to structure this. I think largely you're going to be dealing with, you know, uh, customized uh, arrangements and uh, it's going to take some time to figure out what type of arrangements are actually suitable and uh, valuable for both the, uh, the payers and providers and are, you know, providing good care that you can measure. Uh, and I think that level of trust has to be built for providers who are trying to do that. I guess there is some, you know, again, potentially good news that uh, payers are more open to do this. I think if you start uh, with modest expectations to get to know your major payers Earn trust with them, show them what you're doing, show them why your care works, come up with benchmarks that can be um, without shifting all the risk to the provider, uh, some ways of uh, reduced cost for behavioral services um, or reduced cost for general healthcare services. The data is there that better behavioral healthcare uh, keeps people healthier and lowers overall cost, but uh, you need to have uh, ways to ease into that. And we've been seeing more of this type of let's ease into this and have kind of bonuses if you exceed uh, what you had last year. It's still a fee-for-service payment model, but if you're uh, able to do more this year at a lower budget and you can show measurably that the overall cost has gone down for the members served. Uh, payers are 
uh, willing to provide some either improved rates or uh, shared savings. It's a step in the direction of value-based and um, providers who want to do that more have got to really intimately get to know uh, their payers and work out something that will uh, be suitable. And it is laborious. It takes uh, good data, uh, the data gathering and collecting is I think now being helped. There's more automation happening within uh, behavioral uh, EHR and other you know ways of capturing uh, and reporting cost, quality, and then outcomes. Um, and so I think the ingredients are coming together, but they're coming together a little bit slowly. And there is unfortunately not uh, yet a one-size-fits-all VBC formula. Well, as all this is going on, um, there are some other issues that we know are impacting behavioral health care providers, you know, issues of consolidation, uh, staffing shortages, integrating with primary care provider organizations. How do all these challenges fit into the bigger picture what, and, and what's going on there? Yeah, no, uh, I would say the uh, those are real life things that we're seeing our uh, provider clients um working through, um, you know, intensively. The uh, high level is that it creates challenge and opportunity. Uh, All of these things create challenge and opportunity. Providers who are uh, positioned to integrate with primary care can, together with a primary care provider, have a greater value proposition for the payers to the topic we were last discussing. And more importantly, can offer something more like integrated care, where a patient has, uh, instead of siloed behavioral from general health care and uh, walled off, uncoordinated care, uh, a more cost-effective single-source way, or at least a way where all of the data is there and the management of the patient is uh, 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 done with a full view, and you're able to use lower-cost you know, paraprofessionals, uh, you know, uh, lower credentialed staff or even staff who are in a care coordination mode that you can uh, help achieve better health outcomes and uh, do it at a lower cost basis. If you can, uh, if you're in a place where you have a primary care provider who you can work out a, here's a population, here's how we can fit together. Uh, or if a uh behavioral provider wants to branch out and include a broader suite of primary health or vice versa, primary care doing a broader range. As I say those things, you know, I, I, I hear in my head that, you know, primary care providers don't particularly feel comfortable with behavioral and behavioral providers may not necessarily have, you know, the full infrastructure. So you know, either side of those uh, trying to build bigger continuum, there are challenges. And so, um, finding ways to bridge that are, I think, highly localized based on where you are, who your potential partners are, kind of like the the payers. I mean, it's not really a one-size-fits-all, but if you look around and you find patient-centric ways to align and coordinate care uh, that is good, you're going to be doing good health care and you're going to be able to do it to better value. So that's where the opportunity lays. Uh, the challenges, obviously, um, including 
uh, staffing shortages, is you know macroeconomic issues uh, impacting that in a broader workforce, along with what we've had in behavioral generally, which is just not enough uh, credential uh, staff for all the care uh, that's needed. Um, I think here uh, there is opportunity for technology to help uh, close some of the gap. I don't think you're going to see that yet, uh, not for a while, until people figure out, um, you know, safe uh, standards to do it uh, for the clinical content to be uh, provided via technology means, for example, you know, AI as your therapist. I think uh, we're, we're a ways from that, but, you know, the innovation continues to happen, but you can find ways to have the back end um, of the operation uh, assessments, uh, helping connect patients to particular levels of care, uh, use of telehealth means, which seems to be a highly accepted way of expanding accessibility. I think um, technology is picking it up and providers who seize the opportunity are well positioned to invest in uh, implementing care, they'll have opportunities. And the ones who unfortunately are not able to adapt or position themselves for it, you know, may have, you know, the downside of you know, higher cost, gaps, strain in care, certainly burnout among, you know, the workforce are all kind of real life issues. And, you know, consolidation is, uh, you know, the issue that uh, presents opportunities for organizations that um, are uh, either aligned payer aligned. There are organizations who are, you know, pay viders. Uh, Optum's acquisition of Refresh has put it in a position where it's both the payer and the provider. And so it has both sides of that um, equation and can be more free within its own system to integrate care across uh, uh, verticals to maybe find customizable, you know, solutions or, or payment structures um, just by way of one Example, other large payers are increasingly uh, entering into that, and you still have the PE uh, back portfolio companies with national networks and continuums of care and um, strong history of helping people and uh, opportunistically adding to their networks, um, along with you know large you know strategic companies who remain. Uh, committed to do this. So consolidation can solve for some of those issues. But um, I think in behavioral, we're going to continue to see uh, all three of those issues playing out and uh, companies that are you know, better positioned to spot and find in a way that's right for them. Uh, the way to capitalize on that opportunity will, uh, you know, be uh, able to, you know, grow their missions and obviously be more successful. I'm glad you brought up technology and specifically AI, um, you know, artificial intelligence. It's it's such a hot topic in a lot of different sectors right now. Obviously, healthcare. The clients that you're working with, do you see AI right now as being something that can be especially useful? It, or are we still a couple years away? Do you see it replacing any functions or is it? more of a, a tool that can complement existing infrastructure? Where are we headed there? Yeah, um, very timely. The 
feeling I get is it is a tool to complement existing uh, business functions, uh, dealing with some of the issues that happen on, on billing, making sure that, you know, all the documentation is correct and all the coding is right and to sort of talk to the payers systems with more than just, you know, data in, data out, you know, functionality is, you know, a clear uh, place where AI could be, you know, and is uh, anecdotally, I understand, uh, beginning to make some inroads. Um, I think uh, figuring out uh, potentially uh, assessments of patients to figure out how a particular patient's profile would best be matched to either levels of care or uh, help them uh, help understand better, uh, not on a clinical assessment basis, but on a maybe uh, historical or um, gestalt, that's something that a clinician could use to uh, identify patterns or make suggestions. I think that that's a little more theoretical. I've read that there are companies who have invested in this and are beginning to do this. Um, I think for the time being, uh, finding business processes that AI can help facilitate is going to be, uh, you know, the focus and maybe, uh, you know, not not many years from now, but, you know, I'd say probably by the end of next year, we'll have, you know, some pathways and some commercialized tools that have been brought forth. And I think the tools um, are more likely going to be from the companies, the, you know, revenue cycle or um, EHR or like existing companies that are providing business services in the space will find ways to offer those um, in uh, technology powered ways to providers. I think that's more likely than providers developing their own proprietary uh, we're using AI to do X, Y, or Z. I could be wrong and we'll see how it evolves. But, you know, historically, I've been in the space for uh, 20 years now. Uh, there's a uh, challenge if you're a provider company of just how much are we going to invest in, uh, in the tech? Uh, how much are we going to invest in that next thing that can make us do something? Uh, we're not a technology you know, they're just not technology companies. These are healthcare service companies are primarily focused on serving patients, uh, getting paid for the services, uh, organizational efficiencies, best practices, uh, acquisitions, uh, new new service lines to create continuums of care. It is a harder uh, to see that, you know, existing companies necessarily have the budget. Although I think one example, UHS recently announced that they're developing their own or working with someone to develop their own EHR. Notable in a couple of ways, the general healthcare system began the EHR adoption when the Affordable Care Act was passed, you know, uh, many years ago. Uh, behavioral is just now uh, more uh, on a more consistent basis uh, adopting that. And that's, to me, the uh, anecdote that says, as an industry, we're going to have the uh, after effect, the wave of AI within healthcare will likely play out first in the general healthcare space, and then the ripple effect uh, more likely to be found 
in behavioral as some of these tools and pathways and standards uh, become articulated and followed and prove themselves to be commercially useful in a way that is both, you know, ethical, clinically uh, safe uh, for patients, uh, uh, reimbursable uh, by payers, uh, consistent with professional standards of licensure. I think there's going to be, um, you know, some uh, of those are the things that to me come to mind of between where we are today and, uh, you know, day to day use of, um, you know, AI and behavioral. It's an interesting time for the field, uh, behavioral healthcare specifically, and uh, I think healthcare at large, a lot of interesting possibilities here in the not too distant future and definitely some things for us to keep an eye on. And uh, I think that's a good note for us to wrap up on. Uh, Tanny, thank you so much for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. Great to be with you. See you at the next TCIV. Sounds good. All right. As a reminder to our listeners, you could subscribe to the BHE podcast on Apple Podcasts and other podcast listening platforms. All past episodes of the show are also available on our website, behavioral.net. Our thanks once again to Tanny Weiner of the Pulsinelli Law Firm. I'm Tom Valentino, and this has been the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. Yeah.